Friends, I'd like to, again, wish you a happy Easter. Not only to those here in the sanctuary, uh, but those in our overflow next door. We are blessed uh, to have two buildings. Years ago, through the foresight and opportunity of the, that, that was afforded them, this church, if you're not a member of the church locally, but you attend virtually online, we just want to tell you, you may have never set foot in Troshu, but uh, not only do we have a wonderful church building, but across the parking lot is a larger building that at one time was what we call in Alberta the ALCB. That was the Alberta Liquor Control Board. Uh, also known as the liquor store. And years ago, the government decided that they were going to privatize that, that they no longer would be the only supplier of alcoholic beverages to be able to collect their tax from people uh, that, uh, that uh, took part in that. But they sold off their properties. And it could have gone to anybody, could have stayed a liquor store. But uh, I wasn't here at the time. But uh, this church showing great foresight uh, bought that building and turned it into a lighthouse. It's used in so many ways to reach the community and to bless the community. And uh, we're just so thankful for that. And yesterday was such a celebration in that building. And so we have people here, we have people next door, and we have our people at home today. And we wish all of them the joy of this season, the joy of Jesus' resurrection. What is all of the excitement about? It's about the empty tomb. If you haven't seen it yet and uh, you're not in a hurry to go home to have a special meal with loved ones uh, and you haven't been in the fellowship center since we set up for the children's program, go and see the empty tomb. It's there. And if you go on the platform and peek inside, you'll see the burial wrappings are still there and there's no body. Well, in fact, they were Lazarus's burial wrappings yesterday and uh, we're thankful uh, Lance was Lazarus. Their names were similar, so he had to play that part. And he was wrapped up, and, and Jesus said, turn him loose. And that was so exciting. So go look at that wonderful tomb that uh, Vern Schellenberg put together for us. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful tool. We'll use it for years. I already have great plans for it at this summer's VBS. It fits perfectly in front of those small pass-through doors going into the kitchen. So we have a wonderful tomb to teach the kids about the empty tomb. Uh, that followed Jesus' resurrection. That's so exciting. The Easter story that I want to read for you this morning, the story of the women going to that tomb, is taken from the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 1, we begin reading, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The exciting news of the angels that first Easter morning that Jesus 
was no longer among the dead. He was and continues to this very day to be among the living. He has risen. That's the Easter message. The empty tomb. The resurrection of Jesus. And friends, that is not just a small holiday. Oftentimes when you look how the world reflects on Christianity and celebrates alongside us during our holidays, we think the major holiday is Christmas. That's the big holiday, Christmas. But to a Christian, we realize that as important as Christmas is, the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, come to be our Savior, that the important day is Easter. Easter is the day of victory. It's the day of completion. It is the essential day of the Christian faith. And it's the essential day because the resurrection is the essential truth. Jesus' resurrection is the essential truth of the Christian faith. There's so many important truths recorded for us in God's Word, and they're all important. But without the resurrection, there is no Savior. There are no followers of Christ. There is no Christianity. The bodily, historic resurrection of Jesus is the essential truth. Now, the chapter of the, uh, of the resurrection, if you ask somebody, what's the resurrection chapter in the New Testament? If they know their Bibles, they'll say, well, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you can turn in your Bible, if you have it with you, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read a number of verses from that chapter. And it's interesting, but that chapter, the resurrection chapter, which follows 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, by just a, a little bit, the reason that it is even in your Bible is because false teachers in Corinth were disturbing the brothers and sisters by trying to teach them that there is no resurrection of the dead. Maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's a spiritual resurrection. But a bodily resurrection, a corpse alive, not going to happen. And the Apostle Paul, hearing that these false teachers, and we're not sure who they were, were they Gentile false teachers, perhaps Gnostics, who believed they had a spiritual truth and that the uh, physical truth of uh, the, this world didn't matter that much? Or perhaps they were Jewish false teachers who had their roots as sand, in, uh, rather in the Sadducees. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus' great opponents who at least believed the entire Old Testament, the Sadducees only believed the beginning, the books of Moses, the Torah. And because resurrection is not clearly taught in those first five books of the Bible, they didn't believe it. They didn't hold to it. And Jesus was at loggerheads with the Sadducees many times over the resurrection. Do you remember them trying to tip, trip him up, trying to show that physical resurrection is ridiculous by asking him questions like, remember there was that woman who married one brother, he died, and another brother, and he died, and another brother, he died. Well, in, in the resurrection, you can just imagine them doing sarcastic air quotes, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus in Greek, the, the original term is, he says, you knuckleheads, what are you talking about? And that's not actually in Greek, knuckleheads. But he basically said, 
read your Bible, you guys. You're not reading the whole Bible. You have to understand the reality of resurrection. Not only the resurrection of those to eternal life, but, but uh, Jesus' resurrection, which is the foundation of all of that. So in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is reflecting on the fact that Jesus' historic bodily resurrection makes all the difference. Without it, no Christianity. No church in Corinth. What are you talking about? And the people were disturbed about that because they, they, they were losing hope. Well, if there's no resurrection, how can we have hope? Look at how the Apostle Paul answers, answers their, their, their claims. In 1 Corinthians 15, begin reading in verse 3, Paul writes, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. It means like an overdue baby. Paul arrived late on the scene, but Jesus was gracious and physically appeared as the resurrected Lord even to Saul of Tarsus, who is the great enemy of the church. The meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus changed everything to him. The resurrection of Jesus turned him from an enemy of the faith to the great missionary of the faith, Paul the Apostle. So Paul is saying, what are you talking about? I was a witness to the historic fact of the resurrection and of the importance, the essential nature of the resurrection. We go a little further down in this chapter to verse 12. Paul writes, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our teaching is useless, and so is your faith. There is no faith apart from the resurrection. It would all be built on the foundation of sand. It would be built on a lie. But Paul goes through this whole chapter talking about the fact that it's not a lie. It's true. He witnessed it, and so their faith is built on that strong foundation. What I want to do in the time remaining for us today, it's just such a, a joyful thing to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We're not just talking about a historic fact that happened 2,000 years ago where something miraculous happened like it did to Lazarus, resurrection from the dead. But then sometime later, whether through old age, accident, or death, Lazarus died and his body went to the grave, but not Jesus. And through faith in Christ, we look forward to eternal life as well. We want to look at the essential nature and why resurrection is important. There are so many important things in our salvation. On Good Friday, we celebrate and look at God's great love. Oh, how deep the Father's love for us. Jesus bears our sins to the cross. Now, you may think that's the center of the good news. That's what the gospel's all about. Or perhaps at Christmas time, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, the prince of heaven, 
emptied himself of glory. He knelt low and came to live in creation with Adam's helpless race. Well, that's important too. But when we come to the resurrection, that is key. And I want to ask the, or answer the question from Scripture today, why is it important, why is it essential to be able to say that He has risen, that He is alive, that we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today? Well, let's look. I want to answer that in five quick ways. The first, why has He risen? To declare Himself the Son of God. Think about that. Now, many people, they wondered, was he the Messiah? Was he a prophet? Who was this Jesus of Nazareth? But Scripture reveals from the mouth of Jesus and the writings of the epistles that Jesus said the sign of who he was, the only begotten Son of God, was going to be not a miracle like making the deaf hear, the blind see, water into wine, stilling the storm. People of faith can do that. Jesus said, you'll do the same type of things and even greater. But Jesus says the sign of who he was was his resurrection. Let's look at that truth. We first see it in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Jesus was often in conflict with the Jewish leaders. And after cleansing the temple, they came to him in a huff and they asked him where he gets off doing that. Where did he get the authority? Who does he think he is taking a whip and cleansing the temple and driving out the money changers? Verse 18, Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answers them. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now that quote comes up at his trial. They say he threatened God's temple. He threatened the temple, but Jesus, we know, was speaking of his body, the temple in which his spirit dwelt. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. It is his resurrection that shows who he is as God's son and that he has the authority. The same thought is played out much larger in Matthew chapter 12. Once again, the adulterous generation always looking for a sign. It says in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse, I'll begin reading verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus always pointed to his future resurrection as the sign of which would show the world who he truly was. Paul, reflecting on that important truth, begins the book of Romans, that great epistle of Romans, that letter to the church in Rome. I'm going to read, I'm going to start a little earlier. I'll start with verse 1. Letters in those days began with 
you telling them who you were writing. We put our names at the end. They put their names at the beginning. And this is how the book of Romans begins. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow, that is powerful. What an amazing statement to make. As far as his human descent, Jesus, the rightful king of Israel, the descendant of the royal lineage of David. But as to his heavenly father, through the spirit of holiness, declared with power to be the son of God through his resurrection from the dead. It's essential. Why do we celebrate the fact that he has risen? Because in his resurrection, Jesus declares himself to be the Son of God. Why is it important? He has risen also to offer salvation. The free offer of salvation comes from a living Savior. If Jesus had never risen from the grave, he would not offer salvation. He would be dead in need of saving himself. Remember as he hung on the cross for your sin that day, what did his enemies jeering and mocking him say? He can't even save himself. What kind of savior is this man if he can't even save himself? What kind of savior would he be? if he never rose that first day of the week, that first Easter. He is risen to offer salvation. What does it say in 1 Timothy, that short verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, speaking of Jesus and the role he plays today, we're reminded by Paul, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all men. Jesus is the mediator today. When people are in conflict, we think of it, we hear it on the news all the time. Heaven help us during this pandemic. uh, The nurses and others are saying, our union will not hold off. We want to bargain right now. We want a new contract. Well, we're going to need mediators. And a mediator is that person that plays that key role to take two parties who are estranged or in conflict and need reconciliation and the mediator the go-between brings them together heaven help you if your mediator's dead and in the grave you're never gonna find resolution but jesus living savior he lives today and acts as the mediator he is the bridge between a holy god and sinful mankind what he did for us on the cross and rising from the grave wins our salvation. And he alone can offer that salvation to a lost and hurting world. Why is it so important? Why is it so essential? It's important that he has risen as the payment for sins. 
Now, it seems confusing. Pastor, wasn't, you're, you're, you're a couple days late. You're talking about Good Friday. That's where Jesus paid for our sins. Well, the, you're, you're, you're true. You're not speaking anything incorrectly. But Scripture reveals without Easter, what Jesus did for us on the cross would have been powerless to save. Would have been powerless. Death would have just claimed one more victim. But Jesus broke the power of sin and death. And Easter, the risen Lord, is the one who paid for our sins. That's made clear again in the great resurrection chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a little further down yet, in verse 16 and 17, or I'll begin reading in 16, it says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Apart from Easter, you would still be in your sins. Jesus was faithful. And we'll talk about that, what he did as he took our sins to the cross. The conclusion, the victory is Easter morning, but oh, it's important what he did for us on the cross. The next point makes that very clear. Why is it important that he has risen? He has risen to impute righteousness. Oh, I can just hear you now. What in the world does that mean? Are you kidding me? Nobody talks like that anymore. It's an important word. This word, to impute, imputation, it's a legal term. I have a judge's gavel there because when a judge brings the gavel down and declares you not guilty, he is imputing innocence to you. Or, heaven help you, if the righteous judge brings down the gavel and says, guilty. You have guilt imputed to you. You have guilt laid against your account. It has been credited to you, and you will now bear the consequences and punishment of your sin. But friends, if you are judged and imputed not guilty, Oh, but rather have the righteousness of God declared and credited to you. Praise the Lord. You have all of the rewards and benefits that come with it. Some people have said, what are you talking about? Is this like a legal fiction? I've heard that term used toward this. I say, nothing could be further from the truth. Here's an example. As a pastor, when I have the joy of officiating at a wedding, a wonderful covenant celebration. Do you remember that exciting time right before you allow the groom to kiss his bride? What does the pastor say? After all of the promises made, the vows have been shared, then the pastor says, I now declare you husband and wife. I declare you married. The pastor 
based on what God has done, is declaring a new state. They're married. Is it a legal fiction? No. They are really married in the sight of God and the sight of men. And friends, through the resurrection of Jesus, God imputes the righteousness of Jesus to you. Now that term, to impute or to credit to your account, is used throughout Scripture. But there's three major places, not to get too deep into theology for some of us today, but it is such an important doctrine, so overlooked in the church today. The Bible first imputes to all of us the sin of our parents, Adam and Eve. We weren't there in Eden. We didn't eat the forbidden fruit. And yet, as our representative, we were in them. We descended from them. Their sin, original sin, is imputed to mankind. We're a sinful race. Was it unfair? Oh, we prove it so just. Every time we come of age and can choose right from wrong, we choose the wrong. That's who we are. Adam's helpless race. The imputation of original sin to you and I. In Hebrew, that word was hasab. But then we come to the New Testament. The word is now in Greek, and it is, uh, it is uh, uh, logizomai. That's the Greek word, logizomai. I like that. And it says that when Jesus goes to the cross, God imputes to Jesus your sin and mine. Everything you ever did or ever will say, think, or do wrong was laid on Jesus himself. Not a legal fiction. It was credited to his account. Jesus now bears all our sin. And he goes to the cross. He the sinless one, dying for others. He fulfilled the wrath of God. He took it all on himself. Our sin was imputed to Jesus. And on Easter day at his resurrection to new life, the third and final imputation is the righteousness of Jesus now comes to us who've put our faith in him and what he did on the cross for us. His righteousness is credited to us. Oh, that truth is so precious to us in Scripture. Let's look at a couple verses that speak clearly of it. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. This is interesting. It's talking about Abraham, the father of faith. You remember the great verse on Abraham? And Abraham believed God, put his faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's imputation. That's salvation through faith, the righteousness of God coming to us who don't deserve it through faith. But he's the, just the father of faith. He's like the example, the forerunner. The Apostle Paul says that same truth is the truth about you. Look what he writes. I'll begin in verse 22. This is why it was credited to him, speaking of Abraham, as righteousness. Verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, not just for Abraham, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. 
For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins. Remember, our sins imputed to Jesus and was raised to life for our justification. We had a song this morning that spoke of that very truth. He died for our sins and he's risen for our justification. We have the righteousness of Christ laid to our account. It's for us. And that beautiful truth, as clear as it was, I believe, in Romans chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it so well. Verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news. Jesus took our sin and paid for it. And through faith in Him, we become the righteousness of God. Part of the very family of God. He has risen to impute righteousness to all who believe in Him. And finally, what does that do for us? as the righteousness of Jesus is laid against your life and mine, we are able to be reconciled to the God who loves us. We close this morning with the thought that He has risen to give eternal life. Eternal life. Yesterday, as we had the pantomime of the story of Lazarus, Lazarus meets Martha and Mary and he questions Martha and he, he challenges her. He says, he says, he who believes in me, even though he dies, is going to live forever. And he says, do you believe this? And that important truth of eternal life all comes about because of the resurrection of Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning midway through verse 9, Paul reflecting on his calling in the gospel. He says, This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the good news. Jesus' resurrection destroyed death. What is death? Not just physical death, the separation of spirit from the body, but the second death, separation of a soul from God for all eternity through the resurrection of Jesus. And putting our faith in that, He has destroyed the power of sin and death once and for all for us. We serve a risen Savior. Easter what do we celebrate through the risen Christ? We celebrate that Jesus declared himself the Son of God at his resurrection. We celebrate that he offers salvation, that he paid for our sins, that he imputed to us his righteousness, and he gives us eternal life. Oh, it's so important. We can never leave Easter out of the description of the good news. That's how Paul described it to Timothy so beautifully and so simply. 
we conclude with this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Without the risen Lord, there's no Savior. There's no church. There's no Christians. But Jesus lives today. Because of that, if you put your faith in Him and what He did for you on the cross and rising to new life, that you too could have eternal life, you'll live with Him forever. He is risen. He has risen indeed. Let's pray as the worship team joins me on the platform. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Easter morning. Lord, as we reflect on Good Friday, Lord, it pierces our hearts that our sin took Jesus to the cross. As Lord, the wrath of God, you the holy God upon sin, fell upon your Son that day, the precious, sinless Lamb of God. Father, He paid the price that through His resurrection in power, Father, He opened the way back to You. Father, we thank You that we who believe in Jesus, it's credited to us as righteousness. Lord, may the reality of Easter live in us today and every day as we live and speak and take the good news to the hurting world around us. We pray all of this in the name of our risen Lord. Amen.